1: you're watching no way jose you can find me on no way jose youtube channel all the major auto pocketers and odyssey and rumble as well really pushing the rumble uh because i'm not posting stuff on youtube right now Uh, i said in the last episode for this series i will almost certainly later put these ones back up on youtube but it's not gonna be the case for all the content because i'm gonna uh, start trying to cover content that uh you know may may not quite uh may be questionable for the youtube sensors but i think i think we can get through this RFK series with with it still being allowable on YouTube. We did that with OKC, so I don't see why that wouldn't be the case with RFK as well. Uh, so, you know, I just said that. I'm sure you've seen the title. Today my guest is Lisa Pease. I'm bringing her back on to dig into the RFK story. Uh, find it very interesting. We're going to keep digging into it. Talk a lot about Sirhan today. Uh, do want to remind you guys how this works? If you're watching on the 22nd, you're watching the live stream link, and you are a patron. That means you got the uh, content early. Usually, roughly about a week or so early. Uh, depends on the my schedule that I drop them. But usually about a week or so early, you get them early. Uh, you get the content early if you're a paying subscriber. Uh, and that's patreoncom Chinoa jose 2020 the Lowest level for the earliest early contents two bucks. Uh, the highest levels the sponsors, and I read them off every episode. And my sponsors are Toad. Uh, who is my co-host on the Tower Gang Show, the Offensive Comedy Podcast? Uh, you know, th- like I said, I'm a co-host, and that's a fun show. Uh, offensive comedy, though. So if that's not your thing, don't, 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 don't. Why would you do it? Uh, but yeah, you can follow him at Tower Gang Toad on Twitter. And then my friend at Abergate D's on Twitter as well. And then Kevin B. Clark. He's a full-time guitarist and private music teacher in the New York area. So if you're so- looking for someone for uh, a gig or you're trying to learn a learn a new instrument. He's your guy. Uh, I do remind you guys, toplobsa.com. Use Jose at checkout. That's where you can get those Terran shirts, those Trendy shirts I wore on TimCast. Uh, and uh, Maybe we'll get more stuff here in the future, maybe like a free Sirhan. That'd be cool. Uh, just spitballing. We'll, we'll see what the future holds. Uh, but yeah, uh, use Jose at checkout, 10% off. That supports you know, helps get the the message out, uh, helps out the homie that Let, Let's get Lisa in here. Hey Lisa. How you doing? Hey Jose, good to see you again. Yeah, it's good to see you too. Uh, I was looking forward to doing this again. Uh I, you know, I, as I've alluded to with you in the past, I um I've I I've the I've kind of made a little bit of a name for myself for covering the Oklahoma City bombing. Done a bit really big series on it. I did like around 15 hours on the topic. And the emotional hook for that story was in my opinion Terence seeking That's kind of what I led with. That's actually what pulled me into the story. If you find out about this guy, someone, you know, it was called the suicide, clearly wasn't one of those type of stories. Uh, You know, a a guy in his early thirties, young kids. So it was just kind of, you know, tugs at the heartstrings and it did for me. And I found with this one, the more you dig into it, the more you get familiar. Story Sirhan is that emotional hook. So I figured this episode we'd probably focus on a lot of you know personal aspects on him, and then also I what I feel is like the elephant in the room with the RFK story because for it, him to have not have killed uh, RFK, you it, the only way really without getting, I mean, I, I guess you're already kind of sorta and by. Conventional standards in crazy territory already, but without getting into too crazy territory, it has to be something along the lines of hypnosis or some something like that. Something him not being in his right mind for it to make sense at all. Um, so I, 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 those are the things I want to tackle because I figure instead of beating around the bush, we might as well just tackle the the big thing head on right off the top, and then we can start getting into stuff like bullet analysis and stuff like that, or or the Perfect. trials. Um, so. With that, I guess uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to go ahead and run down your credentials for people again. Kind of let me know what you know, what what all research you've done, so know where you're coming from before we go ahead and get into it.
2: Sure, I've been researching the assassinations of the 1960s and related history for about 30 years now. Uh, about 25 years, then I published a book called "A Lie Too Big to Fail: The Real History of the Assassination of Robert F. Kennedy." Um, I had found information that no one else was talking about that I felt was important. And that I felt would free Sirhan if enough people knew it. Uh, I didn't write my book to free Sirhan, but as I wrote it, I realized how innocent and really innocent is the right word. He was of this crime. And it's really a horrific tale. And the mind control aspect is a, is a great, Entry point into talking about this. So let me let me give you a little background on Sirhan himself, because again, mm-hmm. he came to America when he was like, I want to say seven or eight or something, and he'd come directly from Palestine when there was Palestine before Israel kind of took over And in the at the end of World War II. Land had been set aside for the Jews since they were all being killed by you know in Germany in this horrific Holocaust. So land had been set aside in israel which had a historic you know reference to the jews and so on and there were a lot of jews living there and so on anyway but the jews and the palestinians had lived in harmony for many years but you know the circumstances being what it was neither side wanted to give the other the land so to speak and the un tried to make a partition and that didn't work. And so the Israelis just basically started firing and took it by force, the land that the UN was going to give them. And then I think they kind of took a little more and over time a little more and a little more. And then with the settlements, they pushed people out. But there was a big war in 1948 where the Arabs you know, fought back against this. And this was, again, when Sirhan was just a child, this was all going on. He went for water one day and pulled up a bucket that had a severed hand in it. Uh, His family, which had lived in a middle-class home with a front lawn they mowed and, you know, just like a lot of Americans had lived, suddenly had to share one, like, warehouse-type facility with 40 families where the only toilet was a pit in the basement that you can imagine stunk to high heaven. And so he kind of had these horrific conditions. He saw women with their breasts cut and blood flowing from them, you know, that the Israelis were like parading around the women that they had marred as a disincentive. I mean, war is not just violence. There's a lot of psychological violence in all wars. It's its its own form of mind control, to be perfectly honest. That's a huge component of all wars propaganda. All of that works together, so he was deeply traumatized as a kid. And as a kid, he would go into these trance states and his mother said, you know, sometimes he wouldn't come out of them for hours. Or in one case, it was he was almost like catatonic for a day or two. I mean, it's it was really upsetting to this young. And he's a very sensitive guy. I mean, his brother Munir would say when he would find like a spider inside, he would like scoop it up and take it out the door. He wouldn't just kill it, you know. It's like, he's a nice guy. So how does a nice guy end up in a murder plot? (laughs) What happened? And so Surhan's story, after he comes to the United States, uh, you know, he goes to school. He's doing very well in school at first. And then one of his older sisters got really deathly ill, and he had to drop out of school to take care of her, and his grades started to plummet. So it was easy to say, oh, he wasn't a good student or he wasn't that bright, but that's just not true. He was very bright and a very good student until that happened. Um, He tried to go to college and, you know, he wanted to be a UN diplomat. That was his aspiration. And that's why he was studying German and and, uh, Russian. Which, by the way, would have made him a perfect target for spy agencies Mm because people who were bilingual or trilingual, and he already knew Arabic and English. I mean, he would have been the quadruple threat. He would have been the perfect spy. And he's a small guy and a slight guy. He got a job uh, watering the horses between races. You know, an exercise boy where they, you know, they the hot walkers walk him back and forth, and he got to ride them in practice races basically around a track out uh, beyond Pasadena. There are some horse farms out in um, Riverside, that area. And so while he was working there, it's interesting to note that, for example, there's a document that suggests he might've been connected to Desi Arnaz's farm, Desi Arnaz of I Love Lucy fame, her husband basically, And uh, Desi Arnaz was an anti-Castro-Cuban who had ties to the CIA. So that's pretty darn interesting if if he was there. Um, There were, you know, a lot of mob guys in the horse racing field, a lot of rich people in the horse racing field, and a lot of intelligence agents, you know, hanging around the fringes. And when he went out to Riverside, he would be passing through Corona, and he ended up living in Corona for a short time, Corona, I drove out there because he went there a lot right before the assassination. He was like going out there every day and he didn't have a job. And I'm like, why is he going to Corona? What What the hell is in Corona? Because <laughs> I always think of it as like a small cow town so i I had driven out there once before but i hadn't really looked around so this time i really took my time i looked at the map i pulled up google earth and what do you know there's a huge navy facility there it's a totally landlocked inland place but there's kind of a little hidden lake there and there's a naval surface weapons facility there now what most people don't know is that the navy even before the CIA, was deeply involved in mind control and As I was researching this, it was funny because there was some guy online who was claiming he'd been hypnotized and programmed at that facility. Now, he sounded so crazy, I didn't really try to contact him or interview him. You know, I almost wonder if somebody had put that out there knowing I was searching that, you know, to try and trip me up or something. But it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me if that's part of what they do. I mean... After all, a hypnotized human being could be a very effective surface weapon, you know, for the Navy, right? So uh, anyway, so he's out there in Corona, um, you know, racing the horses. One day uh, it was cloudy and there's kind of a fog and horses collided. Sirhan was thrown and then trampled a bit, rushed to a hospital. Well, again, the only hospital in that area um, at that time, looks to have been the Navy hospital facility, and one of the the hypnotists that I quote in my book is this guy George Estabrooks. He's the father of modern hypnosis. He wrote a bunch of textbooks, and he was working with the CIA. And he said one of our best places to spot people was in the hospital because you could see them, you know, under the effects of drugs, and see, you know, and and find out if they were suggestible or not. You know ask them to raise their hand did they raise their hand you know it's like there's simple little tests you can do to see if people one of the things people do by the way is they will try and get you to mimic a facial like action like one time i met a hypnotist and after we'd been talking for a while i realized he was rubbing his nose and i thought that's interesting and then i realized i was rubbing my nose i was directly mirroring him and that's how they feel you out for hypnotic yeah. sensibility. And that kind of scared me because it's like, okay, I'm susceptible. <laughs> you know, I was doing it and I didn't even notice it. And I never rubbed my nose. Why, how did I even pick up on that? It was so subtle. And I ended the conversation with him shortly thereafter. He had a younger assistant who kept trying to touch me. And I knew that there are certain touch points on the hand, on the wrist, um, in the back of the neck. If you've ever seen like these so-called faith healings, they're usually just instant hypnotic induction. They touch you on a certain nerve ending and boom, you're in a hypnotic state. And this is something, again, the CI is perfected over time. So I didn't want anybody touching me. And he even put down like a spiral. There's like that black and white spiral you've probably seen as a symbol of hypnosis. It's just something that distracts you and it sucks your mind. And while you're looking at the spiral, you're paying less attention to the suggestions that are reaching. you, So there's just a number of ways they can get to anyway. So anyway, here we have Sirhan injured in the hospital. And it looks like that might be where somebody first found him. Because after that, his doctor says, oh, he wasn't that badly injured. He had, you know, some big bruises. I had to sew up a cut on his face. But other than that, no real injuries. And yet we find in the next 12 months, he goes to the doctor 13 times. So it's like, i've had much worse injuries than that and gone to the doctor maybe once more for one follow-up and that was it (laughs) so that was a huge red flag to me it's like if you're programming somebody you do need to see them often is it working you know can i give them some exercises what do i need to do to make this to mold this guy because it's not just sirhan the ci's had a program for decades finding people hypnotizing them and making them go do their dirty deeds around the world. You know, it's much better to have a guy who doesn't know he's being used than somebody who might expose your hidden hand in a plot. And sometimes you're just used as couriers to send messages back and forth. Sometimes it's more nefarious things and the CIA really was trying to create what they called the Manchurian candidate, the idea that somebody could kill somebody based on that film, the Manchurian candidate. Um, Which, by the way, if you see it, see the first version, because the second version is like a completely different story. But the first one is eerie, creepy, and exactly what it's like under hypnosis from people who've seen it and said that. And, you know, hypnotists themselves say that's exactly what we expect it to kind of look like. They have this brilliant scene where these armed, armed forces men are sitting on a stage... And the camera's like going around in a circle. And when it gets back to the men, they're all sitting at a garden party, clearly hypnotized. And the people, the officials who are talking are now all like women at a garden party talking to them. And they're in this totally disassociated state. And during the garden party, one of them asks them to kill one of the other men and the guy does. And then he has nightmares about this later, you know, because little little bits of the memory seep through. and And sometimes that happens, and sometimes it really doesn't. Again, I've known people who are hypnotized, and they were aware the whole time, and, you know, nothing nefarious happened. But I also knew a guy who was hypnotized and didn't know he'd been hypnotized until his girlfriend played back the film of the hypnotist, like, hitting him with a broom. It was like a Halloween show, and he was, like, poking him. And he's, like, a big guy. And he's like, if somebody got in my space like that, I would have decked him. (laughs) You know, he's like, I didn't know that was happening. He told me I would feel a light brushing on my arm. And, and in fact, the guy was like whacking him and he didn't feel it. So it's, it's incredible how powerful hypnosis is. And, and I, you know, I encourage people not to do it. Don't even do these stage shows. I read a story about a guy who had been programmed at one of these stage shows And he was, you know, on stage. They told him, you know, imagine there's a little dog nipping at your heel. Oh, Get away from the dog. Well, the hypnotist never removed that suggestion properly. For the rest of his life, he had this feeling a dog was nipping his heel his whole life. Can you imagine? I mean, that would drive me nuts. (laughs) So... Don't put yourself in that situation. And speaking of stage shows, I do want to get to in December of 1923, there was a policeman on a stage. This was in a show in Yugoslavia. And uh, the hypnotist handed him a block of wood and asked him to shoot the audience. You know, he thought that'd be fun. So the policeman tried to shoot the audience with the wooden block. And of course, nothing happened because it was a wooden block. So then the policeman, trying to follow the suggestion, pulled out his real gun and literally fired into the audience. He killed three people and wounded two others. And of course they were all hauled off, you know, immediately to the police. And it took hours for this guy to lose that hypnotic suggestion and for the hypnotist to kind of deprogram him. So it's like, is again, is the policeman guilty or not? You know, in a normal state, there's no way he would have shot up those police. He was their sworn protector. But under the hypnotist order, boom, he just followed instructions. And whoa, Um, you know, in a similar way, sadly, I think, how do I wanna say, the Nazi hierarchy, obviously the higher ups, they're all guilty, but the lower people, I know a lot of them said they were just following orders and I agree. I don't think that's a good excuse, but there was a lot of hypno programming there too. And so I do have a little bit of sympathy. I watched some of the propaganda from Nazi Germany. And on TV, they would just liken Jews to rats. And what do you do with rats? You exterminate them. They're terrible. They're pests. You know, they're they're dirty. They bring disease into your home. So if you get people to associate a certain person with a rat, they're going to do to them what they do to rats. And that's how propaganda becomes a form of mind control. And so if you feel like you're starting to hate a group of people check yourself (laughs) because you're being programmed none of us normally hate people i mean if you watch kids play kids don't hate each other you know they're very accepting for the most part you know obviously there's always the the child psychopath in the mix you know but generally Mm -hmm. it's like hate is a learned behavior so um Anyway,
1: which is uh, where a lot of trauma manipulation comes in, and that's a common thing when you look at like MK Ultra. I believe we talked a little bit about this last episode. And I've talked about this many times. One of the main things they were noted to talk about was manipulating trauma, and I right. did find it interesting you brought up that it sounds like right. Sirhan had a kind of trauma, quite a traumatic <laughs> uh, upbringing. So, uh, and so if they are grooming associated him easily,
2: yeah. yes, yeah. and so he was. They have a hypnotic scale, one to five. And at the highest level, you can't be hypnotized. But at the lowest level, and I'm going to quote Alan Dulles on this, he said the brain at that lowest level, level five, the brain becomes a phonograph playing a disc put on its spindle by an outside genius over which it has no control. That's really sinister.
1: Dissociative was a good word that you threw in there, and that kind of made it click for me. Because in my head, I was thinking for the past couple days, like the difference between, because a lot of MK Ultra is about manipulating trauma. It is very common that it like is associated with like torture or, uh, mm-hmm. or just even, you know, psychological trauma, like just, you know, playing with people. Like I know if anyone looks into, uh, what's it, was it, uh, Kaczynski, I think, uh, Kaczynski. They oh, okay. they, uh, yeah, they did mm-hmm. MK Ultra trials on him. And I, I believe it was like some weird, one of the things he did was weird stuff would be like, um, you know tell us the worst things about you and then they would use that to like to chip away at your ego and like i I don't know i'm kind of talking my butt a little bit about that but it was like stuff like that where they would try to you know induce trauma or you know create doubt in yourself but the thing is i know the common thing with hypnosis is it's almost like it's um trying to get you to disrupt your reality so that's why right. like when you say like a touch, it's typically on sensitive areas like the inner wrist, the the neck, maybe like the stomach, stuff that like right. normal people have. No, yes, right. which are, spots are already going to be sensor, like heightened sensors heightened senses, you know, of touch essentially, you know, more so than normal and it plays where people don't usually touch you. So if I came up to you and was talking to you and then just kind of casually brushed your neck, but, and I had a complete body language, like nothing was weird about that, that mm. throws off people's reality because that is not something that corresponds with a normal action. So it just kind of throws you off kilter and it gets puts them in a spot where they can kind of start to shift your reality. And I think right. the suggestibility, but I think that a lot of times that comes from like I know a common thing I, I watch a video on this forever ago. I'm a little bit talking my butt, but like I know they would do stuff where like especially if someone's like in a spot where they're already kind of zoned out or not really paying attention, they'll say something like the 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 uh, the rooster crows at ten, and like the person it's just just weird stuff like that that just you know mm-hmm. throws you off, and you're already in this like you know dis. Yeah, and they're like, why thing. did he
2: say that, and you're like distracted. Yes. yes. And, and so then, then, then they can, the yes. and it's almost
1: like the dissociative makes sense because I do think it has something to do with like almost that like autonomic mode of thinking we go into. Sometimes, say when you're like driving or zoned out, and then right. when someone taps into that and then throws you off. It makes you still feel like you're kind of in a different different place of awareness as opposed to your normal, critically thinking one, because you're still right. disrupted, switching from one mode to the other. So I, I, the reason I bring that up, because you mentioned dissociative, and that's common with people mm-hmm. with high levels of trauma. I guess that would kind of that might somehow tie into it if you can induce a dissociative that's somehow similar to kind of throwing their reality off and trying to manipulate. That's what Estabrooks did. He
2: literally he bragged that he could split a personality in half and program them separately so that like A thinks he's a communist and acts like a communist, B is the loyal American, but B is aware of A. A is not aware of B and then gets sent to a foreign country and acts like a communist and meets with other communists, but comes back and reports as personality B. I mean, it's incredible. Like you think of the case of Sybil with eight personalities. It's like you almost, that almost had to be programmed. I mean, the chances of that happening spontaneously is pretty extreme, right? You know, we need to look back at a lot of the history of of weird behavior and, and, re-examine that. I I honestly think most of these mass murders have been some form of mind control. It just, it's so easy to go in automatic mode. I heard something really scary kind of the other day. It was a woman talking, it was like a TED talk. And she was saying like, we only use our brain actively about 10% of the time, like 90% of the time we are all on autopilot because it's a survival mechanism. The more you use your brain, the more the body has to work to feed the brain and get at the nutrients. And so the brain is constantly trying to shut down and relax and go into automatic mode. And so that would explain why 80% of the population is is fairly hypnotizable. So yeah, it's... And with Sirhan, like I said, he was way at the extreme end of you could pretty much program it to, to do anything you want. In fact, this was discovered by a bartender in Altadena. You know, Sirhan had gone in to visit his brother, played in bars on his, what is that thing called, sitar or whatever. Uh, and uh, Sirhan would go in. Sirhan wasn't really a drinker, so he usually didn't drink or he'd have a Coke or something. But the bartender figured out how to hypnotize him and, and would make him do tricks for the other patrons. And Sirhan probably didn't even know this. I think to this day he doesn't know that. I'm not even sure I put that in my book, <laughs> but it's just one of those weird things, you know. It's like anybody could have programmed him because he was so pliable. Now, of course, I think the cover story and the the way this all came out the high level of disinformation, the evidence switching, the way all the judges and the defense team were paid off after Sirhan was convicted, bespeaks a much bigger intelligence operation. This isn't some bartender you know, arranging a hit on the side. I'm not trying to say that at all. I'm just saying he was that manipulatable. So anyway, so Sirhan goes through like this last year before the assassination, you know, with these weird doctor visits that don't seem to make sense, his family feels he's growing more and more distant. He's getting angry, and he never used to be an angry person. His personality is literally changing before their eyes. He's getting very short-tempered. And that's, again, that's a sign of some form of conditioning, because it was so not normal for him. Now, on the one hand, there is one uh, explanation, because, of course, he really wanted to be a jockey since he was having trouble with all these other jobs and stuff. And then he couldn't even be a jockey after his accident. You know, it's like, he was too big. He was literally too big to be a jockey and didn't want to just be an exercise boy for the rest of his life. So, you know, he was trying to find who he was, what he did. And I am certain there were some people in his circle that were manipulating him. I think one of them might've been, his Bible study teacher, a guy used to come to his house and take him through the Bible. And he went to Wisconsin and there's a weird mind control connection in Wisconsin. And again, I, I didn't really have the time to go into depth in it in my book, but there's a woman there who was programming a lookalike of Sirhan, who was actually sent to the Philippines to kill Marcos. And he was that this is a trick, the CI does this, they will have somebody deported under a false identity as a way of getting them into the country. And then it's up to that person to like break out of jail and escape and, and do their mission. Now in the case of the guy sent to the Philippines, his name was uh, Castillo, um, I'm blanking on the rest of his name, we'll just call him Castillo. Um, he did not get out of jail because they were on to him early on and it turned out the brother of the intelligence service um or the head of the intelligence service there had a brother who was a hypnotist and he recognized right away this guy's been hypnotized and he had a weird little code stuck inside his watch like you know just random letters and numbers and so the hypnotist started reading these off in different combinations and found that with one particular combination you know, the guy would like pull out a gun as if he was supposed to kill himself if that sequence was read. He also found common words like sand or flowers would send him into hypnotic states. And whenever he saw a picture of Marcos, he would follow it around with his hand pointing like a gun, trying to kill him. And uh, he disappeared from the Philippines in February of 1968 and was suspected of having re-entered the United States and he may well have been in the pantry. I, I showed his picture to me and he's like, "My god, he looks so much like Sirhan." And that's what Hoover said cuz Hoover sent the picture around and said, "We got to find this guy cuz you know, there's something weird going on here." So, it's it's not again, it's not just one person. This is a program. It's a big program. The CIA was trying all kinds of mind control tricks and often mixed with drugs. And there is some indication that Sir Sirhan may have had a drug that night. Um, they had a form of scopolamine that looked like a hard candy and somebody thought they saw it in what he thought was the Tom Collins he was drinking and it could have been a maraschino cherry, it could have been a maraschino cherry half, you know, it could have been anything, but it could have been scopolamine. <laughs> I mean, we just don't know. And the, the CI found that when you mix the drugs with the hypnosis, it really locked in the the memory loss. That without that, sometimes the memory could be recovered. But if you added drugs to the mix, it was almost impossible for them to ever get that memory back. And so, if you're planning a plot to kill a Kennedy after JFK has already been assassinated and the country's you know rallying behind a second Kennedy, it would behoove you to make sure the guy had complete and total memory loss, as Sirhan does and has to this day. Now, again, under hypnosis, he can remember certain things. But as soon as he's out of hypnosis, he has no memory of that. And so other people know more about his own life and his own story than he does, which is really sad. And I'm not allowed to send him my book. Only a publisher can send books to prison, evidently, in California for fear that somebody will slip a tool into the book spine or whatever, um, you know, or paste something into the book cover. I don't know why. They even rip off the covers of the books before they give it to them. But my publisher had sent Sirhan a copy of my book and he started reading. And he's like, oh my God, Lisa, I didn't know any of this stuff. He's telling me through his brother Munir because I haven't talked to him directly yet, although it appears I might actually in the near future. Um, but in any case, he, he was the victim of like a stabbing incident where somebody like tried to slit his throat and got you know, a pretty good cut in didn't kill him though. Uh, but in that incident, he was like moved into a different, you know, area for a while in the hospital and kept under strict supervision and somebody stole his book. So it's like, you know, I want the publisher to send him another copy of my book. Cause like I said, none of us can send him a book or I would just do it myself. So it's so frustrating that he doesn't even know the facts of this case. So when he's up for parole, he has to say whatever the lawyers tell him because he, he doesn't know the law. He doesn't know what's going to work or what isn't. And he does feel, you know, whatever part he played, he's sad about it. He's sorry for it. He didn't want the Kennedys killed. In fact, under hypnosis, or actually it was in the trial, not even under hypnosis. At one point they brought up the first sighting of Robert Kennedy that he had like, uh, earlier that night. And he's like, I thought he looked like a saint. you know. It's like, And he's, and he's asking his lawyers, why would I kill him? He's like, why, why would I do this? Why would I do that? You know, why would I bring a gun to the hotel? None of it makes sense even to him. And that's just, that's heartbreaking to me.
1: Yeah, no, it, it is awful. Um, we, okay. We've talked about the hypnosis and the, all the, uh, you know, doctor's appointments, which ironically, you mentioned how, like, you think a lot of these other murders and stuff that is a common uh through line. Uh, which I oh, mean, really? yeah, you mentioned yeah. I'm assuming you've read uh, Wendy's book or you're going to. I haven't uh, yet, I, I'm
2: going to, but I haven't read it yet. Does it did that happen with like well, May or well in,
1: in that book, the probably I don't know if it's the first chapter or the second, but one of the very first chapters, she goes through. Uh, kind of a long line of different like lone wolf shooters throughout, uh, you know, roughly within probably maybe like the fast the past fifty years or so, and just kind of went through their stories, you know, like say the person who shot John Lennon, uh, obviously right. Sirhan Sirhan was Very brought up sweet. in there as well. And just kind of goes into some of the similar patterns in all of them. And, and a lot of them have very, a lot of them come from backgrounds of being, you know, either from war torn areas or themselves being prior military. There's a lot of very, there's a lot of common themes along a lot of these ones. And mm-hmm. it's uh, not all that uncommon too, that there were some weird doctor visits or of something along those lines. So uh, yeah. yeah. Have you ever
2: heard about Candy Jones? She was a famous actress from like the forties or whatever, but her husband was uh long john nebel doing a radio host in new york at the time and he was seeing this weird behavior come out of his wife and it turned out she had a different alter personality inside her that would come out Uh, i think her name was arlene or whatever and slowly he uncovered that she had been a hypnotic courier in world war ii and you know arlene was like this cynical horrible nasty person and his wife was like this sweet baby doll type character. And he's like, what's going on here? And and uh, she used to go to a doctor like every month for vitamin injections, which were probably not vitamin injections. And yeah, if, if you know somebody who's like going to the doctor every month for a shot, I would really question that and go with them yeah. and see what's really going on. Um, what's really sad too is there are doctors who use hypnosis Um, for good, you know, to try and help people lose weight or stop smoking. And sometimes that works. And then there are others who use hypnosis without your knowing it. In fact, there was a pharmacist, I quote this in my book, a pharmacist who, when women would come to pick up medicine, would hypnotize them and have sex with them. He'd like lure them into the back and have sex without them really being aware And eventually, you know, one of them kind of figured out something that's going on here. And she managed to get him on tape. So and uh, there are other cases of that. In fact, the hypnotist, I think, who programmed Sirhan for a lot of reasons that I'm not going to go into today. But I think the hypnotist was William Bryan. And uh, he he used to do the same thing with women. He would lure them in. You know, I'm going to hypnotize you, make you feel all better. And then he'd have sex with them. And six of them sued him. And uh, he somehow didn't lose his license to practice after that.
0: Say goodbye
2: even though he was found guilty, he was like slapped and fined, but he was pretty high level. In fact, he conducted a seminar for the big super lawyers of the time. Um, You know, name any famous lawyer from the sixties, Percy Foreman and uh, who's the guy, Melvin Belli and these guys, you know, of that level. And he had them like stick out their hands and then he hypnotized them and he stuck hypodermic needles in their hands. And then he told them in their hypnosis, it's like, look at the needle in your hand. And they didn't freak out because they're still hypnotized. He's like, on command, it will draw one drop of blood. And it did. And then he brought them out of hypnosis and they're all horrified You know, to see these needles sticking out of their hands. But that's how powerful it is. These are smart, educated men. It's, it's one of the biggest misnomers is that like only dumb or uneducated people can be hypnotized. No, it really has nothing to do with intelligence. It literally has to do with focus. The more you can mm-hmm. focus, the easier you can be hypnotized. Yeah, only people with ADHD have have problems being hypnotized because they literally can't focus.
1: Yep. Yeah, that's what I was getting at with the dissociative. It would make sense that like mm-hmm. people who are able to uh, focus and critically think, you know, as opposed to going to. And, and I'm not saying that you're stupid if you aren't always in that mindset where you're like really thinking things through. As opposed, a lot of people i just have are smarter and have gone to uh, will operate on autonomic thinking more often because. you know, whatever the well to that point. Yeah. 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 And you know, most people have their own routine, their own things they're doing. So you're not, when you, you know what your job is, know what you're doing every day, you're mostly just kind of going through the motions and you're, you're on some level of a lower level of thinking, so yeah, and yeah. I, I, it would make sense that people would think it'd be smart because you would think that would be somewhat correlated, but not yeah. directly because there are extremely and I, intelligent people. It actually people found there, almost
2: yeah. the opposite, like the yeah. more intelligent people because they kind of went through a school system where they were heavily indoctrinated and programmed and, you know, in a way, you know, if you look at like who gets to PhD level, it's people who play along with the rules, not mm. people who break the rules. And those people are in some cases highly hypnotizable. Yeah.
1: yeah well all right um if you want we can go into you brought up the doctor you think might be his we can go into that now or we can go into a later time because we do have time unless you really uh, you want either want to save that for later you can be more prepared <laughs> or let's talk
2: it's... a little bit about it okay. now yeah because here's here's one of the reasons i think it was him this guy was a huge bragger and his favorite case was the boston stranglers because he had hypnotized and really coerced a confession Out of the guy who was eventually called the Boston Strangler. Again, I can't think of his name, not important to this story, but it turns out that guy probably didn't do any of those murders, and that it was probably his cellmate who did them. And there's an excellent book by a woman named Susan Kelly called The Boston Stranglers, plural, and she goes into all the problems with the main guy's story, and she touches on, you know, the hypnosis, and, and mentions how coerc- coercive it was. And I went to some other sources and found a transcript. And it's clear that William Bryan is literally forcing a hip- a false memory into this guy of what he did and why he did it. He's even giving him a, like a motive for having done it, which this very malleable young man then repeats. And this the guy's name was DeSalvo, Albert DeSalvo. And so Sir hands, he has a, like a school notebook where he kept notes, you know, from all his classes and stuff and interspersed in the pages. Like one of the pages is like, I advocate the overthrow of the fucking United States or something. It's like, that seems like something clearly he wrote under hypnosis because that's not the way he talked and not what he would have done or said. And another thing he's quoting is like, you know, workers throw off your chains, you have nothing to lose. It's like they're trying to make him look like some sort of a communist. Yeah. Um, but in there, interspersed throughout the pages, is De Salvo, De Salvo, De Salvo written over and over. And the reason I find that suspicious, because it was in the news at the time, but it's suspicious to me because when he was arrested, He was talking politics with the policemen. I mean, they were all freaked out because they're used to working with real criminals. And this guy was like discussing the philosophy of justice and very calm. I mean, so calm it was unnerving to the policeman. But he asked like, that Boston Strangler guy, who was that anyway? So it's like, here's a name he had written over and over. And yet in that state, he didn't know who it was. And it would make sense for Brian to brag about DeSalvo when Sernand was under hypnosis. But when he was only under post-hypnotic suggestion, he would have no memory of anything that occurred. And he couldn't connect DeSalvo to anything because Brian told him not to. And like I said, Brian was just this huge braggart. There was a woman, Betsy Wolf, I'm forgetting her last name, but... She was helping Bill Turner when he was working on a book about the Robert Kennedy assassination, Bill Turner being a former FBI guy who left the FBI because he didn't trust that Hoover was doing the right thing and wanted to get out. And uh, he talked to her and she had gone to meet with Brian a few times. And and when she started talking about Surihan, he got uncharacteristically angry and started yelling I didn't have anything to do with that case and I didn't hypnotize him and why are you talking to me about him and that's over and done and and she's like I just asked you know it's like why is he having this total eruption it's like people who are guilty tend to do things like that right you know they overreact. how dare you accuse me of that crime that I just committed you know so that was interesting and one time she was there and the Bremer shooting went down where Bremer shot George Wallace, who was running against Nixon in 1968 uh, it's a 68 or 72, 68. And uh, yeah, because he was on the ticket. And uh, it turns out that one of the people in Sirhan's circle was friends with Arthur Bremer's sister. And they were attached to the stable that Sirhan had been working at. So it's like these circles of kind of these intelligence connections that tied into Brian, who gets a call right after Bremer's shot and suddenly has to fly to Maryland, where the event happened. And she's putting this together and it's like, this guy is like connected. And uh, he had even gone to like the trial of Clay Shaw, you know, when, when Garrison was, he was a friend of, you know, a lot of uh, DAs around the country. And so he went and sat in. He taught them how to hypnotize juries to get their desired convictions. Isn't that terrible? I think that's terrible. You know, he's not a good guy. And so at the end of his life, like 1975, he's in Las Vegas having sex with two prostitutes, and he's bragging to them that he hypnotized Sirhan. Now, neither of them knew much about the case, and they assumed he meant after he was arrested but brian had no access to him after he was arrested so if if he really hypnotized him it had to be before he was arrested and i looked up in the paper brian had invented this machine that would hypnotize you like remotely you know it's like you'd put on these tapes and listen to them and he could hypnotize like three people at once I and mean, this is brian for <laughs> you it's like all about the power man if i can get three of them at once how much better is that i mean Oh, creepy people, and he's not the only one. In fact, I gave a talk in Memphis in April of this year. It was a conference about the Martin Luther King assassination and the other assassinations. And I started looking at all these famous cases and their hypnotists. For example, the same hypnotist that Sirhan had in for his defense, uh, Bernard Diamond, shows up in the Lenin case. You know, hypnotizing Mark Chapman. It's like, is that the weirdest coincidence in the world? He's, he's in Berkeley. Why is he flying to New York? There are plenty of experienced hypnotists in New York. It's like they have their little team of people and these people that show up, you know, so uh, Brian had done the Boston Strangler, seemed to be involved in the Surahan case. Brian was friends with Mel- Melvin Belli, who is working on Jack Ruby's case when he brings in Jolly West. Jolly <laughs> West has ties to the Oklahoma City bombing. I actually think somebody needs to write a book about the CIA's psychologists <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that ties because it's the same people over and over in these different cases, just like it's the same lawyers. You know, there's like yeah. teams of lawyers and psychiatrists who keep the lid on CI operations inside the United States,
1: there, there's a couple decent ones that they've written from that perspective. I can't remember them off the top of my head. I know Chaos sort of does a little bit. Uh, Tom yeah, the book. Manson book. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember if that one's focused on Gottlieb or if it's focused on West. I won't say it's West, but there's another one I read that focused yeah, was focused, focused, on, on, Go- yeah. that was focused yeah. on Gottlieb, which I believe was essentially West's kind of like boss slash kind of yeah. like the guy. Sydney who Gottlieb talking, was yeah. kind
2: of the father of uh not just hypnosis but the the bio warfare hypnosis yeah. the drugs and hypnosis Sidney Gottlieb was um he was like a cripple who had a lot of time on his hands worked for the CIA since inception and was behind a lot of the plots to poison Castro. They tried to poison Malcolm X. They tried to mm. poison Anwar Sadat maybe six, not not Sadat um who's the other one I'm thinking of
1: Uh, Cairo. I I know you're talking about. I just I couldn't name. I would not build name on the big one. (laughs)
2: Yeah, (laughs) like more people showed up to that than the death of Kennedy. Oh my God! How can I not think Nasser? Nasser. Yeah. 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 There are videos of like the crowds showing up for Nasser. He was beloved in Egypt for trying to break free of this Western lockdown on you know leaders. I mean, again, the Kennedys understood that everybody needed to run their own country. And almost no one else understands that. It's like they see it as a bipolar world, and you're in our camp or you're in the opposition's camp. And we're back at that right now. It's like we've learned nothing from the Cold War. We're right back at it. So... uh yeah. yeah. I, I really would sad.
1: encourage people uh to, you know, if you're listening, I know some people may have just like when you brought up like the hypnosis device may have like rolled their eyes, but I would, I, it sounds like it online. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. All these, a lot of these things you can find out, but people, people, yeah. people don't look into it. And they just roll their eyes and go oh, crazy conspiracy. No look into things like when I mentioned with like West or, gottlieb and some of their projects some of the crazy stuff to do or look into like uh the men who stare at goats by ron johnson it's oh, it such into, a good book yes. yeah where it really goes into just all the weird psyop stuff they were doing and I mean, yeah, a lot of them is ridiculous stuff and, you know, a complete waste of time and money. I don't know if those hypnosis devices actually work, but at the end of the day, they're doing it and some of those things are going to work. So... Yeah, exactly.
2: (laughs) They've had... Yeah, they've been doing this for more than 100 years. I mean, this is a very refined and deadly science at this point. You know, the, the experimentation was happening in the 40s and 50s. By the 60s, they had a pretty much a lock on it. And that's... When the programs kind of went underground. And of course, when Richard Helms was fired by Nixon after Watergate for not, you know, kowtowing to Nixon because CIA directors don't do that. <laughs> um, Nick Helms ordered the burning of all the MKUltra files, all the mind control files. And and again, I just want to iterate it wasn't just MKUltra. There was MK Delta, MK Naomi, and and QK Hilltop. And possibly QK Enchant. The CIA gave a really lame explanation of a project that connected E. Howard Hunt and Clay Shaw and some other big name people. And they're like, oh, it's just a program for covert security approval. It's like, you don't give a code name to covert security approval. You know, mm-hmm. They were getting a code name for something else. And all the MK programs were mind control and QK was mind control. So QK and chant very well may have been some form of mind control. And I also just want to emphasize before we end, mind control isn't just the hypnosis stuff. It's the everyday advertising. It's Mm -hmm. the packaging and the colors. When you walk down the grocery store aisle, everything is designed to catch your attention in a certain way. Nature does it too, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, Flowers attract bees, you know, they grow colors and shapes that attract bees for mutual survival.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I also think in a certain sense when I say MKUltra in in a, you know, I guess depends on what I'm talking about. A lot of times I'm just being vaguely meaning, you know, psyops (laughs) psyops that are being perpetrated. And I think a one a lot of people don't think of in the grand picture of it. Uh, is the level of infiltration and I bring this up to bring up if you pay attention to all these different stories You know, here we have, it sounds like you had, you know, keep in mind the era here is like the, the, you know, late sixties, early seventies. And, you know, we're talking about this guy going to these horse races. So that would be a, you know, a big horse race. This thing would be a hotbed for mafia activity. So it makes Mm -hmm. sense. They would infiltrated that. I mean, when you look at the, you know, uh, the Manson stuff and, you know, the, the connections there, they were, they were, the anti-war activists, the peace movement, yep, the Patriot movement from the right. Like, so they do these things and what happens is they infiltrate them. A lot of times it'll be, you'll see whether it's left, right, whatever. Sometimes it'll be, they create these, these, uh, groups or, you know, whether it's a militia or whatever, mm-hmm. or a commune, or whatever it ends up being, and they will, you know, make them the most crazy elements or, or try to you know make it that way to criminalize it. And so then now you have essentially they're creating their own problem to fix later. Right. So and right. think about how that affects the psyche of the normal American. When you hear stuff where people will talk about, uh, say to the easy example, because it ties in OKC okay, and the right, where you'll hear like elite politicians talking about how white supremacy is the biggest problem we have right now. You're like, Um, and you're like, what? But then you think about it and you think about all the different ops they've pulled off with right-wing militias, where they've made uh, their own militias and elevated the problem, which the same thing was happening with the, the, the war activists, you know, in the COINTELPRO days. And and um, they, they give this, the, the general public, this false idea, of what this entity is over here and you know obviously say with the malicious stuff with the the left can easily you know go and paint and go look at all these crazy right-wing white supremacists over here and you're like okay but this was almost entirely a fed op or at the very least was you know built up to be you know they were they enabled it to get to the proportions that it got to or whatever you know if certainly in the okc's yeah. bombing yeah. that seems yeah. to be the
2: case you know yes so it's like a lot of informants in that circle yeah yeah, yeah. so you
1: gotta think how that affects you you know, it's that's kind of a giant psyop because it gets, keeps everyone living in fear and thinking, Oh no, the Black Panther is going to come and kill all us white people, or Oh no, the the, the, the white you know, people the- are going to kill all the black people. Yes, yeah. exactly. And it's yeah. like it's the same it idea.
2: That, <laughs> Top, who was at you know Robert Kennedy's side when he was shot, who probably shot him in the side, uh, talked about a race war, which was something the CIA was really trying to promote through Operation mm-hmm. Chaos. And so, to me, that kind of connects. Thane Eugene Caesar, right to that race war mentality. And of course, he thought, you know, the whites should kill all the blacks, you know, because he was a big racist and stuff. But he was also a CIA guy, you know, it's like, yes, (laughs) they they work from both sides to keep us divided, because if we ever stopped being in fear and started being educated and aware, we would overthrow the government that we have. And they don't want us to do that. So...
1: All right. Let's uh, to finish this out. Uh, would you be willing to run through the the situation? The the event again, like we did last episode, but specifically from the perspective of Sirhan, and, yeah. and and more specifically, probably the 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 polka dot dress, because you brought up earlier the other doctor. And so it sounds to me like this was some sort of larger operation, likely where you know had maybe had some sort of main doctor and he had an assistant or multiple assistants. And likely the polka dot girl was some sort of trigger of some sort, because it makes sense. A woman in a polka dot dress, a kind of a fancy thing. It stands out. It would make sense to right. be distinct. It's something out mm. of the ordinary. Obviously she's a beautiful woman. I would, you And know, she you wasn't know. the only one yeah. there was yeah. a
2: guy in a polka dot tie who Sirhan remembered. And he's the one who like sent them to the pantry. Like he was someone who figured out which way Kennedy was going to go. And he had a big polka dot tie at the door to the pantry where Robert K would walk through was a girl with a polka dot scarf who committed suicide shortly after the events went down. No way. So it does <laughs> seem to me that the polka dots were not only possibly. And let's talk about that for a second. It, for people who never saw the film, The Manchurian Candidate, this is a common hypnosis technique. It's a two step process. One item is the trigger to kind of put you in an alert state for the actual command that you're going to fulfill. And a hypnotist named Darren Brown, or in the movie, let's go back to the movie for a second. um, The woman who was the trigger would wear a queen of diamonds. Whenever he saw in a deck of cards, the queen of diamonds, that was his first unlock. That was the first key. And then whatever he heard next, he would do. And so there's a great scene where at one point he, somebody calls him and says, why don't you pass the time by playing a game of solitaire knowing he would get to the queen of hearts. But before the person got there to give him the command, somebody in the bar said, why don't you go jump in a lake? And it was right when he saw the queen of hearts, I mean the queen of diamonds. And so he gets up and he goes and jumps in a lake and then wonders why he's there and what did he do and why? And, that is how I think the polka dot dress was. I think the polka dots were that first key. It wasn't the kill command or anything, but it was the first key to put them in that state. And also, I think it was a way for the other conspirators to identify each other, to know who they could or couldn't talk to. (laughs) Because if they were wearing polka dots, it's, it's interesting how many pictures are left that have no people in polka dots anywhere in the hotel (laughs) you know given that there were a few and so that also helps the conspirators after the fact so anyway i think that was the purpose so sirhan is wandering around the hotel uh he meets this girl in the polka dot dress she seems very sexy and available to him and so he follows her around and he's seen with her Like for three hours that night, people start seeing him at nine o'clock with the girl, all the way up to midnight. So she was kind of keeping an eye on him, never very far from him. Um, Which, real quick, I want
1: to point out, what a strong mental hold that is. If you think about a young man, and if you have a woman who is, you know, in a position where she's not. It's not like a, you're going to a hypnotist show you just happen to meet a beautiful woman you're cure, currently probably interested in who also is at the same time messing with your head like your your play-doh in her hands really if she was skilled enough she probably don't even really need the all the possible grooming and stuff like that exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah but go on sorry yeah
2: no it's an excellent point and he was only 24 you know he's a young yeah. year old guy right so uh uh, anyway, so he's following her around and they go backstage while Kennedy is speaking. And that's where they meet this big guy wearing a polka dot tie who sends them into the pantry. And by the way, the coffee urn, because I've tried to place this many times, the coffee urn, because he remembered the last thing Sir Ann remembers is pouring coffee for a girl in a dress. And that's the last like actual memory he has before hypnosis. And that coffee urn was in that backstage area. So he goes back there. So maybe the guy put him under, you know, maybe it wasn't even the girl, but the girl might put him in that ready state. And then he has no conscious memory of what happened next, except for a moment where he remembers choking in the pantry. And then next thing he knows he's at the police station. So that's, that's kind of Sirhan's cognizant level of awareness. Now, when Dr. Dan Brown, who we talked about in the last episode, sat with him and programmed him, uh, not programmed him, really deprogrammed him because uh, Munir told me he did remove some of the hypnotic triggers, whatever he could find, he took it out of him, so he can't be triggered again in those ways. Um, But he found in that scenario that Sirhan remembered following the girl all the way into the pantry, and being up on the tray stand with her, she's holding him in place. She's behind him with her arms around him, literally holding him there until Kennedy walks in. At that point, she looks up to the right, which would have been where a shooter on the table that I believe was there, thanks to four witnesses, including the LAPD's own fire photographer, you know, very credible source, said the shooter was on the table. <laughs> anyway, she makes sure he's in place and then she moves hand into position And she pinches him somewhere on his back. I don't know the exact spot, but again, probably one of those little nerve points that hypnotists use, and boom. He thought he was back at the firing range, firing at targets. So when he pulled out his gun and he fired, he was not firing at Robert Kennedy in his mind. This is according, again, to Dan Brown who seems very credible, who had no prior. He didn't care if Sirhan was guilty or isn't. He was curious, like intellectual curiosity. And he was hired to do it. So he wanted to find out what happened. Um, But Sirhan, that's what he was firing at when he pulled out his gun. He was not trying to kill Robert Kennedy. And yet, of course, everybody in the pantry who sees him firing right at Robert Kennedy is going to assume otherwise and not knowing the ballistics, which we'll get into in another show, because that is a very interesting topic in itself. Um, But yeah, cause and effect, here's a gun, here's a guy going down, it must have been that way, even though, as we'll learn, the evidence shows it couldn't have happened that way. But that's what everybody saw. So in a way, the whole thing was a mind control op. It was a mind control op on the people in the pantry to make them believe that Sirhan had killed Robert Kennedy. And sadly, it worked. It worked so well that most of the Kennedy family to this day believe Sirhan killed Robert Kennedy and that there's no question, that anybody that questions it is a crazy conspiracy theorist because the media reinforces that programming. And we talked about trauma and how powerful that is And those kids the trauma they went through at that time and then they're being bombarded with the message that sirhan did it sirhan did it they have been trauma programmed so it would be it's kind of a miracle that bobby was able to escape that programming i really don't expect any of the rest of them to be able to break out of that programming and that's sad because that means sirhan may die in jail for a crime he provably did not commit
1: yeah i guess that uh you know gives us a good spot to kind of transition to closing out um i kind of want to go into what is his current status you know you know what are his spirits uh, you know uh you know what is his personal situation and i know there's been some talks as of late you know a lot of i think there were recent talks of parole hearings or something along those lines so if you could give the audience an update where we're at with that yes uh, so, so a, a
2: few years back um It was during COVID, so I I don't remember the exact date. But a few years ago, um, Bobby wasn't going to go to the parole hearing because his family, you know, very much opposed it. And and he's like, if you don't say anything, I won't say anything. But if you're going to say something, I'm going to say something. And so they told him they weren't going to do anything. And so Bobby wasn't going to go. And then the family wrote a letter. You know to the parole board you know say we want sirhan to stay in jail so then when bobby heard that he felt betrayed and he hopped on the call because it was all done by video because of lockdown and he got into the hearing and his brother douglas uh, kennedy did the same thing and they met sirhan you know virtually so to speak and i think i don't know if douglas was there now i think douglas just saw him on camera but both of them pled for for Sirhan's release. And I had actually sent the parole board members a copy of my book about six months early. I didn't know if they were going to read it or not, but I couldn't help but wonder if they had because they were the gentlest on him at that hearing than they have ever been. Usually they berate him, they ridicule him, you know, you murder, you terrible person, you, you know, there's no way you could ever rehabilitate for this crime. They treat him like dog turd, you know, it's just so unfair. And, uh, but this time they were actually somewhat respectful to him. And um, there was a group called Redemption Row, Jen Abreu had worked, she helps prisoners get parole. And she helps, how do I want to say it? She works with the people on the inside to change their lives from the inside so that they can have a life if they do get paroled on the outside. So she helps them clean up their acts, so to speak, and then get out. And she and the man she ended up marrying, who's in the jail with Sirhan, decided they would try to help Sirhan because they felt he needed the help and he's the next one they wanted to get out. And so all the all the pieces were in place And Serhan was granted parole. It was this huge story for about five minutes until, of course, the governor of California, who is now the last governor in the entire 50 states to still have veto power over his own hand-appointed parole board, he stuck his hand and he said, no, we're not going to let Sirhan out. And he wrote the most dishonest thing, claiming he'd gone to the California State Archives and personally looked through the evidence and I just, oh, every part of me is going, liar. Yeah. No you know? you and I'm a Democrat and I can't stand Newsom because I just think he's phony as hell. And anyway, I don't want to get political because that's not the point, you know.
1: But... Well, I agree with you. So. <laughs>
2: I'm very passionate uh, on
1: yeah, it. It's funny, like I think I can tell I think I have a good idea where both our politics are just assumptions. and, and I, I think we probably would have some vehement disagreements on some things. but it's like I see I think the type of you know our politics are the ones where we do unite on the things that matter, like war uh, and stuff. So I, we probably might have some different disagreements when it comes to policy, you know, especially particularly economic, but yeah, you yeah. know, when it comes to war and the fed, if you want to mm-hmm. say, screw them, I'm like, all right. Yeah. hell yeah, <laughs> like, I'm with you. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, that was the ahead.
2: earlier parole hearing. Then there was one much more recently, I think it was in March of this year. And evidently this time, Kerry Kennedy, who's been very, vehemently opposed to Sir Sirhan's really showed up in person, as did Chris Kennedy, and raked him over the coals. It's actually illegal for them to berate the possible parolee, and the parole board just sat back, and Sirhan's lawyer was just, like, they're breaking every law in the book, and no one is calling them on it, and you know, I can object, but if they don't want to enforce the law, there's nothing she could do. So it was it was really a hate fest against her hand. So he predictably did not get paroled this time. But you know, Hope Springs eternal. And honestly, this is one of the reasons I want people to read my book. I'm not making a lot of money off this book. If you knew, like, if you put the years that I've spent on this versus the money I've made, no one in their right mind would take all that time to write a book. But I want to get the truth out because it's not just about Sirhan, it's also about how the police routinely frame people to the point where it's just standard procedure where it's easy to frame people and it's easy to get the rest of the the prosecutors to go along it's like this little you know club that they all belong to I mean literally they all go out and have drinks afterwards and it's justice we need more justice and less of that in this country and I think my book can empower people to know more and protect themselves from that
1: Oh, absolutely, I, I agree. I think these uh, a lot of people would say these old things like, why do these matter? I think these matter because partially because it's old. I think you can get someone to p- jump onto it a little bit more, like these older stories. Uh, you know, it sounds a little bit less crazy when you're like, let me tell you about this crazy stuff from you know 95 or from the 70s. It, it, you know, people have this like you know, modern day like normalcy bias where it's like if it's today. It's harder to believe, but, you know, 50 years right. ago, that was a different time. But once you can get people to start understanding these mechanisms and realizing that, you know, that, some of, the that yeah, some of the things that were happening from, you know, the RFK assassination or, you know, like the Manson stuff or just MKUltra, that stuff flows into other things like decades later, like OKC and other stuff. And then why wouldn't it do the same thing to modern day? like if you start understanding these yeah. the, these things you start it's like almost like a Rosetta Stone where it allows you to kind of like the we live glasses from that movie you know type thing so and i think that's, that's the, the perfect you know, analogy
2: the Rosetta yeah. Stone cuz that's that's what i feel it's like if you know any one of these cases in depth you'll learn them all because it's all the same language the same yeah. techniques the same tricks it's I say that in the intro to my book, it's like, once you understand how the magic trick works, you can never be fooled again. And that's the point. That's why we study
1: this. It's pattern recognition. It really is what it is. It's like, I know it sounds silly. It makes you sound schizophrenic where you're like, well, if you look at it, you know, all these 20 different, you know, lone wolf shooters, we see these common indicators and you're like, whoa, you're looking for patterns and like, well, yes. Yeah. I mean, at some point you're like, well, maybe there's something there. I'm not saying that's the case, but it, it raises an eyebrow at least. And, uh, and, and I like we're, these we're all yeah. so
2: programmed by the media. I mean, yep. again, we are all victims of mind control. It's just, some of us have escaped it a little more than others. And that's why it's so hard for some people. It's also, have you ever heard about the ash experiment? where people were shown like lines of different lengths. And one person was the experimenty subject. He thought everybody was part of the experiment, but only one person was part of the experiment. And they asked people to say, you know, which line is the same length as these other six lines? You know, is it line A or B or C? And at first everybody's answering correctly. And then all but the, the subject start answering wrong. And the subject, 30% of the time, would go along with the others, even knowing they must be wrong. But the herd instinct is that strong. And I think it's the same thing with conspiracies. There are some people, when they hear the media tell them all the time, no one believes this stuff, they don't want to be an outlier. What they don't understand is they're not the outlier. The conspiracy people are the majority in this country and have always been. And it's literally, it's only the media that refuses to see these conspiracies for what they are and to deal with them, which is why the media has lost so much credibility. I mean, when I was growing up, everybody believed what we saw on TV. It had to be true. You know, all three stations are saying it. (laughs) There were only three (laughs) stations. So it was easy to control us then now you know we have many more sources and the internet has been a boon to critical thinkers because yes you can go look up this stuff for yourself you know i didn't know what to believe when i started i heard things i even read a book but it all felt so foreign to me but when i got my hands on the actual lapd files it's undeniable what happened it's right there in their own files and no one has reported it and that just you know frustrates me to no end as you can imagine
1: Yeah, I know it's time. It's time-staking or it's a painstaking. Uses up a lot of time, but uh, like it really is useful once you start looking at the primary sources. Once you start realizing, same thing with the OKC bombing. Uh, the org slash OKC is there. They made like a directory for all OKC bombing related, you know, documents. And it's just literally like a Google search. And like you can find like, you know, all sorts of source documents or different articles that were printed throughout time. And it's it, once you start like digging into this, it really is because like you hear someone say it. And we kind of talked about this last episode where it's like, yeah, you hear somebody say it, and you're like, oh, well, that's just they just said that. That's their opinion. That's their opinion, it's like, right? Yeah, well, a lot of people think, but it's like, okay, but. But is there facts to back that up? And once you start looking at the cold, hard facts, you're like, holy shit. You know, and that's why I like (laughs) cases like this. Yeah. Yeah, You start seeing, you're like, oh, okay. Uh, All right. They weren't full of it. And this, this says something. Uh, But yeah, I guess uh, if you've taken up enough enough of your time, we'll do another one of these soon. Uh, Start probably getting into analyzing uh, maybe some of the trial stuff and slash or start getting into analyzing kind of the, the, the bullets and stuff like that. But uh, before I let you go, could you tell the audience uh, where to find your stuff, uh, what all you got, and uh, that sort of thing? Yes. Well, of course,
2: any bookstore will be happy to order my book for you. So if you've got a favorite independent bookstore, I always want to support the little guy. But certainly Amazon has it. My book is in audio format, Kindle format, hardcover. Um, They all have different uses – if you want to research, I recommend Kindle because you can search. You can go back and search for something in the book and find it again. You know, when you read it through, it's, it's hard. But I do have I have it right here, and I'll just let's see if I can hold it up where people can see it. <laughs> I just want you to see the footnotes are literally on the page. You can see exactly which document I got it from, you know, primary records. You know, I went through the LAPD's files, the CIS files. On hypnosis and mind control, um, FBI files. It's you know none of this is supposition or conspiracy theory. This is hard research.
1: Absolutely. Well, I appreciate your time. We'll do another one of these soon. Uh, this is a No Way Jose show. YouTube, all major pocketers, Odyssey, Rumble, Rumble, Rumble. Go, go follow the Rumble channel. Follow me on Twitter at Tower Gang Jose. If you want to follow me there, uh, like, share, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. With that we are out